band that actually did not perform. They performed their own stuff, but they recorded it, and then they lip-synced when they were in concert, and they finally got found out because the power shut down in the middle of a concert. <laughs> For those of you that are younger than 25, you didn't know that. Um, wow, I'm a long ways off. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, turn it down. Yeah, no kidding, tough crowd. You know, when mom says something, you probably better listen. <laughs> Welcome. If uh, this is your first time here, uh, we sometimes are a little chaotic. That's the way it goes. That's life. And uh, we want to welcome you. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, right? Dave fired off with a Merry Christmas. I don't know what he was thinking. We're closer to Thanksgiving, Dave, than to Christmas. So happy Thanksgiving. No, Merry Christmas too, I guess it's fine to say. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We did a course with uh, family, and uh, I think it's uh, I think Thanksgiving is one of the most important cele- uh, uh, holidays that we can celebrate. I was doing a little research, and uh, <clears throat> depending upon like what study you look at, um, Thanksgiving always kind of ranked in that top, you know top five for Americans and probably in like the top 15 globally which I found was interesting uh we had a little conversation with Morgan our daughter Morgan if you don't know who she is she's a uh, missionary she's in India right now and uh they had quite the um interesting combination uh to celebrate Thanksgiving it was her and one other American family is that right two several several other American families uh and then uh some people from Germany and, of course, then some people from India. And uh, I've often wondered kind of what the blend there was of the celebration of what they were thinking of when it comes to specifically to Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, it is celebrated around the world. Uh, for those who don't know, there's kind of a... And, and I'm kind of I'm stepping away just for this week, stepping away from 1 Corinthians. Our study will be back there next week, uh, looking at spiritual gifts and what uh, God has to say for the church about spiritual gifts. We'll probably take a few weeks in that chapter, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. But uh, uh, back to this idea of, of Thanksgiving, the initiation of, Thanksgiving, of the Thanksgiving holiday um, was brought about by the President George Washington, and he reflects uh, this idea of having a Thanksgiving proclamation. And so in October 3rd, 1789, he wrote this, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. And notice actually how many references there, there is to Almighty God and to the Father, to deity, uh, throughout this statement. I'll start over. Where it is, is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness." Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being, 
who is the uh, beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. Previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifest mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experience in the course and conclusion of the late war. For the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the nation, <coughs> the national one now lately instituted. For the civic and religious liberty which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering of our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our nation and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our nation's our national government a blessing to all people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws. Wow. Could stop right there. To being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed. To protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a decree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 17. 89, George Washington. It's quite a statement, isn't it? It's quite a statement. Uh, it's not a statement out of boastful pride. In fact, you will see elements in there where he's seeking, you know, forgiveness. He's seeking, you know, that, uh, that God would, uh, would be favorable towards the United States and not just them, but all nations. But this idea of, of thanksgiving has really kind of stuck in my mind throughout the course of the week. And uh, how does it, wh- why, why should it be such a big thing to us as Christ followers? That's one of the questions. Why, why is that holiday over uh, any other, even Christmas and Easter sometimes, at least as well we're talking about, why should they be so important? Is it just the pumpkin pie? Which, by the way, for those of you that want to know my opinion, pumpkin pie is a vegetable it doesn't count as dessert, boys. Not at all. <laughs> Remember what I'm telling you. I'm serious. I made two of them this weekend, or this last week, and the biggest ingredient is a vegetable, so it takes the cake. All right. But is Thanksgiving all about just the, you know, the awesome desserts and the, the food and the get-together? Is it bigger than that? Is it bigger than that? I propose that it's bigger than that. Inside of God's master plan that's laid out for us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and you can really read through, I'd encourage you to really read through 
in context, but there's one particular verse in talking about what God's plan is. And in verse 10 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him. God is in the gathering business. We all gathered together, I presume, this last week. We all gathered together somewhere. We should have gathered together somewhere. But know that that's just a small reflection of the bigger plan of what God is doing as he's in the gathering business himself. The four R's of his gathering business kind of can be laid out in this passage, First Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, he talks about redemption. He talks about recovery. He talks about uh, that we should reconcile, that we should be restored. See, the expectations are that if, that if uh, it belongs to another, if something belongs to another, it needs to be redeemed. If somebody belongs to another, Jesus' job, Jesus', Jesus whole goal is that, that you would be redeemed in Him, that you would be bought back in Him. So if it belongs to another, it needs to be redeemed. I should speak personally rather than abstractly but if it wanders away it needs to be recovered if it's relationally broken it needs to be reconciled and if it's ruined and unusable it needs to be restored it needs to be restored what virtue best reflects our redemption in Christ what virtue is present and should be present in the highs and lows of life. And what virtue, what virtue is known as the queen of virtues? If we think about the uh, list of, of godly virtues, what virtue is known as the queen of virtues? And the reason why I believe that we should be thankful, that we should celebrate, celebrate Thanksgiving uh, with intensity and vigor, the queen of virtues is gratitude gratitude that's what we see laid out in the presidential proclamation is gratitude towards the god and gratitude is the awareness the response and the reception of god's divine grace that's what gratitude is that's what christian gratitude is it's the the awareness the response and the reception of god's divine grace the fact that we have received received gifts and benefits beyond those that are expected deserved and earned, and it's often said this way, that where grace is the root of the gospel, gratitude is its fruit. Gratitude becomes the fruit of the gospel as Christians live out their lives in service to God. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth said it this way, grace and gratitude go together like heaven and earth. Grace and gratitude go together like heaven and earth. Gratitude needs to really make a comeback, I believe, in our culture. In a practical sense, gratitude needs this then. It needs restored. I believe that gratitude needs to be restored. If we look at and have a cultural awareness, a, a worldly awareness of what's going on in the times that we live in, one of the things that's terribly on the slide is gratitude. It's gratitude. And if it's only reserved for one day of the year, where we're mostly just, and, and this just absolutely grinds my wife, when uh, you say, what are you thankful for? You know, God, family, and food. You know, and it's just, it's just kind of that quick and easy. There's no depth to it. There's no sincerity to it. There's no pause to consider. There's no weighing 
of what that really means. I mean, even though it can be true, even though it should be true, if there's some weight behind those words, we won't just kick them out like that and then move on and, you know, pass the pickles. We won't have that. Gratitude needs to make a comeback. It needs restored in our culture and in our world. So where do you start with a restoration? Uh, there's many here that... Uh, Many here that have embarked upon a restoration, whether it was an automobile or uh, fixing a quilt or you name it, whatever your project is to restore. We've done a few around the place there, around the farm. Uh, if you're going to identify the problem, or if you're going to start with a, uh, identify the need, then you have to identify the problem. Where did it go wrong? And where it went wrong was with this word, ingratitude. It went wrong in ingratitude. And really, ingratitude is this, it's, it's, it's an erosion, it's an erosion of thankfulness, it's an erosion of relationships. The first act of ingratitude, of course, as with any issue, we can find the roots of the problem in Genesis, the book of firsts. So the first act of ingratitude is in Genesis chapter 3, and for the sake of time we won't go there. But Genesis 3 really gives the details of how Adam and Eve chose themselves over God. They were not, in, 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 in falling to the temptation of sin and all that's written there, you can really boil it down to this. They chose themselves before their maker. They chose their own wants, needs, desires. They chose themselves over the creator. That singular event would topple the dominoes of all mankind, really, with a sense of selfishness and lead to countless countless occasions of more and more and more ingratitude and it's something that we all struggle with it's something that we all at some level and at some point in time we all struggle with this so there's this thread that goes all the way back through history to the garden of eden back to that first act of ingratitude the second thing when it comes to ingratitude is that uh and I'm kind of going to kind of work through from Genesis forward through the scriptures a little bit. So start in the Old Testament and move forward. But God takes a lack of thankfulness, a lack of thankfulness. He takes it very seriously, extremely seriously. And there's an account of God dealing harshly with Israel for two reasons. Let's jump in there. I'll read them for you. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you have your Bible turned there, I'll give you just a second. It's good for you to see it on your own pages. Uh, there might be a day where all the electronics don't work completely and for the whole day. And so it's good for us to thumb through in our own Bibles. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. There, here's this account of God dealing harshly with Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 45 says this, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you. Uh, what, what curses are you talking about here, Moses? Uh, all, these per, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. That's a pretty bad deal. And here's the reason why. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. Verse 46 says, And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God 
with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. Wow, that's a pretty heavy proclamation. That's a pretty heavy, that's, that brings all of the, you know, all of the uh, giggling over the sound stuff down to a real reality that God is serious about his people and he's serious when it comes to a lack of thankfulness. God's discipline is measured out for two reasons. One is a disobedience in following and obeying, which is a faith issue. And two, God's discipline is measured out as a lack, because of a lack of gratitude, a lack of a good attitude, joy and gladness in their service. There was a lack of thankfulness, which really boils down to a heart issue. They had ingratitude in their hearts towards God. They were not thankful. They did not display a joy in the sense of God was leading them. No, they were more about themselves. The third part to look at in ingratitude is man's ingratitude is at the center of God's wrath on sin, Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those verses right there, kids, when you have somebody that wants to push your buttons of, and say that they don't believe in God and how could God send anybody to hell that never heard the name of Jesus, you take them to Romans chapter 1, start in verse 18. Actually, start in verse 1. Make sure you get all the way through verse 20. Because God is saying, hey, it's evident to everybody at all times uh, clearly evident of who God is. Clearly evident. But here's the ingratitude that becomes at the center of the heart. Verse 21 says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. And here's the point. Nor were they thankful. Nor were they thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Man's ingratitude is at the center of God's wrath, a lack of faith, uh, thankfulness, a lack of thankfulness for who God was and being their creator uh, brings down God's wrath for their sin. The fourth thing is this, thankless attitude, a thankless attitude will be hyperactive in the end of days, in the end times. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, Jesus is describing the mentality of the world versus the mentality of his people. Because there's two lines of thought. And I think if we live in uh, the days and times that we live in, we see an increasingly huge divide amongst the two. We have to acknowledge that. We have to learn to grapple with that. We have to wrestle with that. 
In the reality, though, we need to make sure that we're on the right side of that divide. We need to make sure that we are one of God's children. He's describing this mentality, this way of thinking. And in verse 12, he says this. I'll read a couple of verses. Verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And the part that I wanted to make sure that you have highlighted or, or underlined or circled in your Bible is this idea that a thankless attitude is, is hyperactive, and that thankless attitude in the end times comes out in cold hearts towards one another. Stone-cold hearts. And we've seen that in, our, in history. We've seen that throughout history in times and seasons. But this is a pervasive coldness that comes over mankind that demonstrates itself by not being thankful. Ingratitude. And that coldness kind of comes out and it's kind of like, whatever, whatever's good for you is good for me. You know, I'll just do my thing over here. And there's no love for the neighbor. There's no love for the Lord. And it doesn't flush itself out that way. No, it stays cold. The love of many, many will grow cold. The second passage, Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul is describing the ingratitude that will sweep over mankind. So the same idea, the same time period, uh, and at a little different angle, as the Apostle Paul learned from Christ himself, he says this in 2 Timothy, says to his young protege, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, notice what makes the highlight real for ingratitude, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he says this, and from such people turn away. That's a pretty harsh list that the apostle lays out as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to describe the, the way things will be towards the end. And what hits that highlight reel of of things to look for, things to uh, uh, consider, things to avoid is this sense of unthankfulness. People that are unthankful, it'll be more and more persuasive, more and more widespread as days go on. So how do we escape the ingratitude traps? Now that I've taken us down to the bottom of the well, (laughs) before everybody's, you know, Ah, there's no light. How, how do we get out of the trap? How, how, how do we escape? How do we escape these type of social, uh, global pressures? How do, we, how do we stay away? Well, actually, one thing, it's not in my notes, but if you take the, the list, if you take both of these and simply do the opposite as you serve the Lord, you're in a pretty good spot, really. Like, just take all of those characteristics, all those qualities, flip them over, do the opposite, you're in. You know, you're in, the right, you're in the right spot. 
You have the right character qualities. You have the right attitude, right? That's the first step of escaping this ingratitude trap. How do we enhance the attitude that God is wanting in and for his people is the question that I wrote myself in the notes. Gratitude, as opposed to ingratitude, uh, gratitude is this. It's the virtue that just kind of seems to make everything better. Gratitude, having, a, having an attitude of gratitude, is the, it's the virtue, the, qu- the queen, if you think about it in a kingdom sense, the queen's role really is just makes everything better. There's something about it. There, there's, a, there's a disposition. There's an attitude. There's, a, there's a, an, an aura or whatever you want to call it. There's something there that is just better, and that's what gratitude does in the life of a believer. It just makes everything better. It improves everything. The heart of Jesus really was to bring heaven to earth, Matthew 6.10. In the Lord's Prayer, in the Disciples' Prayer, some would say, Jesus says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, Jesus' whole plan is to make things better by making and, and for us to be praying for, and he was praying for, that what is going on in heaven happen here. What's going on in heaven should be happening here. On earth, so we want things here as it is in heaven. So what, is, what does heaven look like when it comes to gratitude? i got three verses out of the book of Revelation that describe gratitude in heaven. It describes the attitude that are those that are there, as John wrote it down, as he got the vision, as he experienced what was going on there, he wrote them down, and it describes the attitude of gratitude in heaven that Jesus says, that's what we need here for the people that are going to follow me. This is the model. Live it out. Let's take a look at a few of them. The heavenly gratitude. The first one was the heart of Jesus was to bring heaven to earth. B, heavenly gratitude. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. If you're not sure where that's at, go all the way to the right. If you get to the maps, you went too far. Turn back to the left a little. Revelation 4, chapter 4, verse 8 says this in the description of what was going on there. John writes this, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and what? And thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worships him, who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and, <clears throat> and by your will they exist and were created." 
Revelations 4, in this little passage, especially verse 9, says the attitude around the throne is one of gratitude. It's one of thankfulness. It's one of appreciation. Revelation 7, chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, says this, And after these things I looked, John writing again, And behold, a great multitude in which no one could number, all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever and ever amen the attitude again displayed not just by a few now the scope is widening out more and more and more it says a great multitude revelation 11 7 uh starting verse 15 but chapter 11 gives us another similar picture and verse 15 says then the seven seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord Almighty, the One who is and who was and is to come, because You have taken Your great power and reigned. Again, another picture out of chapter 11 of the attitude of thankfulness, the attitude of gratitude that's before the throne. That's the vibe, if you want to use that word, of heaven. That's the, the, what it's like. It's constant, unending, unceasing, and unwavering gratitude for the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe it's possible to be grateful. I think it's possible for us to be grateful without worship on one hand. On the other, I think it's impossible to truly worship without being thankful. I think it's really clear. I think the Bible just draws that out straightforwardly in that sense. It's possible to be grateful without having an attitude of worship, but it's impossible to truly worship without having a sense of gratitude. So the worship around God's throne is always, always, always soaked in gratitude. It's like water in a sponge. It's always soaked in gratitude. And that should be the description then of his believers as well. If, if Jesus' job, if, if our job is to pray for, and, and Jesus commanded his followers to, f- to pray for the things from heaven to flow down to earth, that should be the top of the list, should be gratitude. We should be that same sponge, soaked in gratitude for what God has done, what He is doing, and the things that He will do. There's three areas and ways then that gratitude is restored. It's, it's restored in our attitude and actions towards God. It's restored in our attitude and actions towards one another. 
and it's restored in our attitudes and actions that are reflected by what we say. Because what you truly believe, what you're truly thinking about, what you really are meditating on, those are the things that you're going to say. So that's going to be kind of the measuring rod for our own lives. How, how grateful am I? How thankful am I? Well, is it, is it just those, oh, thankful for God, food, and family. Let's eat. Like, that's not a very long measuring rod. That kind of tells me, tells me about myself, if, I, if I'm the one saying it, that I'm just wanting to move on to the next thing. Let's just move on to the next thing. Is that really gratitude? The Psalms 100 gives us the idea the attitude and actions towards God that we should come before the Lord with grateful hearts. The psalmist says this, Make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him. That's our attitude and action towards God. That's our interaction with Him as we're uh, praying daily, as we're reading our Word daily, as we're listening to worship music daily, as we're considering what's going on in our, uh, around, on in our world uh, on a daily basis. Is our attitude and action, and it should be, and I believe it is, is it in the right place because we're thankful? Because we can enter into His gates with praise and into His courts uh, <clears throat> with praise and through His gates with thanksgiving. And the second thing is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, that we should engage in the church with gratitude. One of the ways that things are restored, one is our own relationship to the Lord, two is our relationship with the Lord's people. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. We're to be thankful. It's not something that we put on and off. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I have a lot of sports clothing, and as many of you know, I coach football in Chewila, so when I put on my hoodie, you know, that says Chewila football, everybody, you guys, and especially the team, they know that, you know, that's the coach. But, but that, that coat can come on and off, and you wouldn't know if I wore a different coat in town. You wouldn't know, or if you didn't know me at all, you wouldn't know that I was a, a coach, right? So it can come on and off. Gratitude can't be that way. We're called to, and we're commanded to be thankful. Be thankful. That's just a part of who you are. That's something that defines you, your attitude, your character. That's something that defines our lives. Something that defines our response to difficult situations. 
Something that should, should mold and shape our thinking and, and mold and shape how we understand and process when we don't have all the answers. Because let's face it, we don't have all the answers. We don't know why certain things happen. We don't know why you know, uh, difficult times and trials and tribulations come necessarily. We don't, we don't get all the answers necessarily on this side of heaven. But that should not be a stumbling block to a life that displays thankfulness and gratitude towards the Lord and to one another. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, there's kind of the description of that, be thankful, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, <clears throat> giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Engage in the church with a sense of gratitude. Engage in the church with a sense of gratitude. I think as, and this is just a little editorial note, I think as times and time goes on, uh, that will be a little more under fire. That will be a little bit more pressurized. Other parts of the world, other people in other places have a super high sense of elevated gratitude. The elders, we had a visit with a guy from the other side of the world the other night, and you could just see, tell me if I'm wrong, you could just see his gratitude for a conversation coming out. Like, he, he veered wildly off the topic of what we were supposed to be talking about because he was just so excited to have conversation with other Christian men. Am I wrong? No. That's that attitude of gratitude. And sometimes, like I say, it takes, it takes some time and it might waste a little time. But you see that reflected in other areas where Christianity is a lot more oppressed than what we are. So if we're busy about cultivating that here and now, we will be prepared then to, to work through the highs and lows of whatever is coming. Right? Rather than waiting until oppression comes, waiting until tribulation comes in a heavy sense, and then all of a sudden we have to relearn lessons of gratitude. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The third one is to speak thankful words that reflect what God's done in our lives, reflect God's grace in our lives. And this is the verse we'll end with and close shortly after this if the worship team wanted to come back up. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, Therefore <clears throat> by Him, speaking of Jesus, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to, to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The ultimate expression, the ultimate way that we know that we're on the right side of the ingratitude, gratitude, is by how we communicate with one another and how we communicate to God. Like we can think that we're thankful. We can think <laughs> with the short, quick answer, you know, God food and f I screwed it up already. God family and food. We can think that we're grateful, but, but what do our words really say and what do they really reflect? 
are we going out of our way to demonstrate our appreciation to the Lord? Are we going out of our way to demonstrate our appreciation to one another? Is there, the question really to ask, is there a sacrificial element? Is there a sacrificial element to our gratitude? There should be. There should be. It's the great measuring rod of, of knowing kind of where we are. And it's a great opportunity then to engage with one another, to engage inside the body, to engage both with other believers and with the Lord in our attitude and actions because they're reflected by what we say. As I said earlier, what we really believe, what we really think is true in our hearts is going to come out through our mouth. If there's a lack of gratitude there, that's going to come out. But if there's an abundance of gratitude, if there's an abundance of joy, if there's an abundance of appreciation, appreciation to God, if there's an abundance of appreciation to the people that are around you, that you're uh, in community with, that you go to church with, that you work with, if there's an abundance of those things in your heart, in my heart, then it's going to come out through what we say. And perhaps in a culture that has been cold and divided, Christians living lives of thankfulness will stand out as a stark contrast. When I think of the verses that talk about how things will be in the end of days that we read out of Second Timothy and the Gospel of Matthew, I think about that. Like how much stark contrast will there be between Christ followers and the rest of the world in attitude? I think it's going to be huge. But we don't have to wait till then to experience that difference. We do it right now. We do it right here. These are the things that we have to cultivate. These are the things, parents, that you need to be teaching your kids, teaching and training them as they're coming up. Attitude. We used to have a, oh boy, how did that go? The note we had in the bathroom. Jesus, others, and yourself. That's what joy is. And there was times where we just said, go to the bathroom and read the sign. <laughs> you know? Like, you got, a, you got a bad attitude, little girl. Back when my girls were little. Or Robbie. Which is not little. But there was times we just said, go read the sign. Like, it's going to tell you everything you need to know. You know? Take, take five minutes in the bathroom and uh, rediscover where your attitude is at. Is it showing a contrast from the world or is it showing a similarity to the world? I'm rooting and praying and encouraging that, that we as Christ followers, not just of this church, but every church, continue to demonstrate something completely different in attitude and in thankfulness than what we see going on in the, round of wor- in the world around us. Because what we see in the world going on around us is really, it's just got a real tight, short lifespan of thankfulness. It's quick. That's why I use that example. God, family, food, you know. It's just about that fast, and then they're on to something else. There should be that contrast, a stark contrast. And I'm willing to bet that when you demonstrate that contrast, when I demonstrate that contrast, it's going to lead to conversations. And those conversations will be the opportunity that you're going to be looking for and that I'm going to be looking for, that we're going to be looking for in sharing Jesus with people. 
Because what draws people to Christ is attitude. Let's just be honest. It's either crisis, and then in the midst of crisis, they're looking around and saying, well, who's different here? Because he went through the same thing, and he has the same attitude as I have, and so on and so forth. But they look over and they see somebody that's totally different. They happen to see a Christ follower that's displaying a different attitude. They see that contrast. That contrast leads to a conversation. That con- conversation then becomes an opportunity for to you to share where your attitude comes from. Share where your gratitude comes from. And it becomes from the author, the creator, the one who creates community, the one who creates a, a, a pathway for us, who's provided his son to create a pathway for us to have relationship with him and to be in right relationship with one another and to do that with thankful hearts. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's uh, 1145. 11.45.